Let us pray. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're in Acts chapter um, 24. We, um, it's, it's just a little background since it's been two weeks since we've been together. Paul has arrived in Jerusalem, or had arrived in Jerusalem. He was going about worshiping and uh, bringing the gifts of charity that the various places that he had been on his mission trips had sent for the, uh, the poor in Jerusalem. And uh, some Asian Jews uh, got pretty angry with him, attempted to, you know, beat him up, and the uh, tribune, the Roman tribune, came and took Paul away. It would probably be a better way to say it rather than to say he was truly arrested. But in any case, he, uh, Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin, accused of all these things. Paul um, responded uh, in, one of, in one of his response uh, statements. He talked about the resurrection of the dead, and that really created almost a ruckus in front of the Sanhedrin because the Sanhedrin was made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and the Pharisees did, so they almost, they pretty well forgot about Paul, started arguing among themselves. The vote uh, was, you know, as far as whether he was guilty or not, was the Pharisees said no, and the uh, Sadducees said yes. Uh, but the um, tribune in Jerusalem took uh, Paul up to uh, Caesarea to get him out of Jerusalem, and halfway he sent his half of his thousand men to guard Paul, in essence, until they got to the flatland, so to speak, out of the mountains, because the, there were 40 Jewish men who pledged a vow to kill him. And so the, uh, Lysias was aware of it, maybe, but anyway, he knew what the um, terrain was like, so he sent quite a guard to guard one man. And um, so he went up to... Um, Caesarea, which is where we are now, and uh, if someone would be kind enough to read verses 1 through 9 in chapter 24. Okay, thank you. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader. Oh, excuse me. The ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, 
He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. Thank you. Um, Ananias was the high priest, and some of the elders came up. Now, the Sanhedrin, as I said, was made up of both Sadducees and Pharisees, and when they talk there in verse 9 about the Jews also joined in the charges, that would have been, you know, what their attorney, uh, Tertullus, would have been saying. But they came up, and then if you notice how it starts, um, you know, he came to the case, and uh, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, Reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere we accept this with gratitude. But to detain you no further, so now after I've, you know, sat there and tried to get your goodwill, you have to understand Felix to this point had been the most barbarous governor in that, in the land of Israel. He had put down riots just you know, in, in insurrections with just total slay them all, get rid of them. And he believed in bribes, in receiving bribes, which was against Roman law, but he'd gladly accept it if you paid, paid him anyway. So this, these comments that he's making to seek goodwill are nothing but hypocrisy. And so then he goes on to hear the charges you know, who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. And that is the charge that has the potential to be the most damaging because, you know, one of the things we've talked about, we hear about often, is Rome believed in keeping things calm and in order. And if there was any riot or anything that disrupted the public, peace, Rome could step up its power and show you who was in charge. So to talk about causing riots was the closest thing that was dangerous to what they were accusing Paul of. The truth be, if there was any riot that was going on, it was caused by these Asian Jews who attacked Paul and disturbed the crowd that was out there. But, you know, we kind of modified the truth a little bit now as we want to bring these charges against Paul. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Well, we know that's Jesus. And a sect at this point in time, in some ways, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were sects. They were parties within the Jewish community. And so, you know, as the Jews saw it, they were this group over here that was causing trouble. And then Paul, as we'll see in a minute, when he's doing his rebuttal, refers to it as the way. And it's not something that's different than what Judaism teaches. And he even tried to profane the temple. Now, that is an accusation they made against him over in Acts chapter 21 at verse um, 29 in chapter... For they had seen... 
Trophimus the Ephesian with him, Paul, in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. That would have been the closest part of the temple. There was a section of the temple where Gentiles could go into. That was the outermost court. And then as you went in, the higher up you had to be. And, and so in the middle court, you had to be a Jew to go into. But because Paul had brought him into the town of Jerusalem and they'd seen him talking, they just supposed he had brought him there. That was good enough to bring the charge. And so those are the three charges that they had brought against him and in front of Felix, saying he's done this, this, and this. And we need to be uh, responsive to knowing that, and that's what we're accusing him of. Now, in verses um, there, if you'll notice, if, if you've got a, um, the ESV that's in front of you, it goes verse 6 to 8. And in some other text, in the uh, footnote here, in, in the, um, in probably in what you've got too, but in my ESV, some manuscripts add, and we would have judged him according to our law, but the captain, Lysias, came and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come before you. Well, here again, if you go back and you read what happened in uh, chapter, uh, what, 23, no, <laughs> The, the Roman tribune was coming in to break up the violence, not causing the violence. But, you, you know, we've got to kind of here again say, we wouldn't be here if your, your tribune hadn't caused a little problem and made us come all the way up here to Caesarea. We'd have dealt with it, and, you know, you wouldn't have had to hear this. It wouldn't have been something we'd have been taking up your time with. So, you know, I guess, and John could speak to this more, like any good... Uh, somebody bringing charges, you definitely want to slant it your way, but I think John would agree too. The, the attorney before the judge doesn't need to bring bringing up uh, false charges and get his own self in trouble. But now looking at, if we would, um, verses uh, 10 through um, what, 21, if someone would be kind to read those. Okay, thanks. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disrupting with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple, without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. 
or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Thank you. Paul starts, and at best he acknowledges who Felix is. He doesn't go into some sort of, uh, uh, you know, less than wholehearted um, statement of fact. I acknowledge you're head of the country. Um, And then he went on. I cheerfully make my defense. You know, I'm willing to defend myself. I'm not worried about it. And you can verify. He's starting to give evidence. Now, evidence wasn't given before. You can verify I, have, I wasn't in Jerusalem any more than 12 days. You can send somebody down there to verify that. And in doing so, Paul had spent time going through the purification rites of a Jew that was required uh, before going into the temple, particularly since he had been to a lot of foreign lands and in contacts with Gentiles. And so he had been doing that. You know, I wasn't trying to cause any problems. I was just there bringing alms and offerings. And I was in the temple by myself. So, you know, I hadn't been there long. And, you know, that implies how could I have organized a riot when I'd only been in town 12 days? You know, I didn't know a lot of the people there. Yeah, he knew any number of them that were uh, Christians in the early church. But, you know... He'd been gone for years. So, you know, pulling out those old friendships or whatever would have taken probably more than 12 days just going around and visiting. So, you know, he's telling Felix, okay, that charge you can verify. I just, you know, I didn't have time to do it, and you'll see that to be the case. And, you know, I wasn't disputing. I wasn't going up to people and creating arguments. I was just there to worship and give alms and offerings. And yeah, I do believe I'm a part of the sect called the Way, but it's not a sect. And I worship God of our fathers just like they do. I believe everything that's in the Law and the Prophets just like they do. I believe in the hope of God just like they do. Then he adds in about the resurrection of the dead, of both the just and the unjust. And I take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. You know, Paul recognized himself as a sinner, but he did everything he could in working with people. He didn't want to be seen as a backstabber or doing something that created conflict that was something other than him preaching the gospel. And when people didn't believe, what did he do on most of his mission trips? He went to the synagogues. He preached to the Jews. When they didn't respond, he then went to the Gentiles. But he didn't sit there and throw it in their face. He just went on. So he wasn't into creating conflict of just between people for the sake of creating conflict. The conflict he would have created, if any, was in preaching the gospel and the non-response or the response by those that didn't believe. And so, you know, I came in, I was doing the things I was supposed to do, and then he goes, well, if I've done anything wrong and they want to talk about it, 
I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. And the people that had come up to bring this obviously wouldn't have been the Pharisees because they said he's not guilty of anything. So the people that came up with the chief priests, the elders, would have been those who had a problem with the resurrection of the dead. And that's why they're pushing their cause to get Paul back down to Jerusalem, really, so they can deal with him under their law. But they have to bring in Roman law, just like what happened before Pilate with Christ. You know, they brought up charges of him in the temple causing disruption, saying he didn't believe in the law and the prophets. Christ kept telling them, yes, I do. I'm the fulfillment of it. That was something they had a problem with. Causing riots, everything, similar charges to get rid of him. But when they went before Pilate, what did they have to do? Well, they sucked up to him just like they were sucking up to Felix, but also bringing in Roman law because they couldn't kill him under Jewish law and Roman law wouldn't allow you, well, you could kill him under Jewish law maybe, but Roman law out over, was over that. And so they couldn't, within Roman law, do anything to him that required punishment by death. So they had to get some charge against Paul, against Christ, to get Roman law applicable so they could get rid of it. Well, then we look in verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, Lysias, the tribune comes down. When Lysias, the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends friend should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. Then after two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Procurus Fetus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. You mean he talked to him for two years off and on? Yes. Well, yeah, part of it was, you know, he was hoping he'd get a bribe. Now, bribes were against Roman law. He's the Roman representative in Palestine, but he was not opposed to taking those bribes. And so part of it was getting him to come. The other part was you have to look back and see who Felix was. Felix's wife, Drusilla, was Jewish. So he understood probably a little bit more than, say, Pilate would have or other Roman governors about Judaism and what 
their beliefs were. Drusia was the great-granddaughter of Herod the Great. Um, so, you know, she, ma'am, go ahead. When you were talking about um, this part about, hey, Reese, about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment, and then right up uh, above it, when I was younger, uh, where it says the resurrection of both the just and the unjust, when I was quite a bit younger, I used to think that the only ones that would be resurrected were the ones that were Christians. And But it's not only here, but it's in other parts of the Bible that everyone will be resurrected and the judgment will come. It's just that the Christians, because the shed blood of Jesus and the covering, um, uh, because of that, we will go to eternal life with God where the others, the unjust, will be raised from the dead but will have eternal life elsewhere. Well, one of the things in looking at the relationship also further between Felix and Drusilla, which is one of the things that probably gave Felix alarm was that Drusilla was his third wife she, he was her second husband, and he had, she was supposed to have been a very attractive, youthful-looking woman, and he had gotten one of, some person to help him with, beg your pardon? Well, this is a dumb question, but how do you know she was attractive? <laughs> Josephus, and yeah, I, I, I knew her when, right? No. Um, you know, what... What Patton would have said he was there, but, um, you know, history would have talked about who she was and whatnot, and I mean, you know, the commentary people draw on it, but what was important was that he had used somebody to help in manipulating a divorce from Drusilla's first husband because he lusted after her. So when Paul starts talking about, you know, righteousness self-control, and the coming judgment. Those are things that, you know, can start ringing a bell in somebody's mind about, you know, maybe I hadn't done things right. I need to get rid of this guy before I hear too much more. You know, get him out of here. But, you know, one thing that, you know, he had Paul put away but he was probably in some respects, and he would have been guarded almost under their version of what we'd call house arrest. Uh, he could have visitors come and go as they wanted, but he would have had a guard very close by. And so Paul would have also had to have provided for himself. Now, his friends would have provided some of that, but you know, Paul would have been having to spend money to take care of himself as opposed to being in prison, in a Roman prison somewhere, just locked away and, you know, kind of would talk sometimes of the key thrown away. Um, he was allowed a lot more liberty, first because he was a Roman citizen, and there hadn't been any really serious charges brought against him. And so, you know, Paul's friends could come and, you know, take care of his needs uh, and whatnot. But Felix, 
you know, you, you have to wonder, we don't know, did some of what Paul had said about judgment and you know, self-control, righteousness, had some of that kind of wandered into Felix and he wanted to learn more about it? Or was he just, you know, the more I bring him in here, maybe he'll see that this two years is getting expensive and if he'll give me some money, I'll let him go about his way. Paul, on the other hand, was probably a lot more concerned about Felix's seeking forgiveness from Christ and his release from his sin than Paul was about his own release from prison. So he'd keep going back as long as he had a willing listener, no matter how half-hearted it was, Paul was going to visit with a person. That was Paul's nature. I mean, he wanted to share the gospel and help people understand. But then when time had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. Paul was really in what would be considered protective custody because the Jews wanted him dead. But under Roman law, you could only hold somebody for two years. Well, he'd had his two years. He should have been let go. But Felix, as always, is trying to play both sides. Now, one of the reasons Felix was replaced, he was called back to Rome, and the reason he was called back had to do um, with handling of a dispute between the Syrians and the Jews. And probably killed off a bunch of them, and he was brought back to Rome. Now, normally... If you'd been, you know, uh, the governor of a province and accusations like this came up, you would be dealt with pretty severely. But he had a brother who was a close confidant in, in, to the Caesar who got him off on a little less charges without him being severely punished. Obviously, he lost his uh, governorship and whatnot, but he didn't suffer through History says the severe penalty he might would have because of the intervention of his brother. But, yes? Like, Could you assume that uh, during this period of time, the relationships between the Jewish people and the Roman uh, governors that were sent in there was constantly deteriorating because, keeping in mind that the uh, Romans went in and destroyed the temple and Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. Uh, do you think that they were putting more severe uh, governors in place in the, during that period of time? I don't know how close this was to the year 70. It was before then because Paul was already dead by then. I think it was maybe in the 50s. Uh, 60s when Paul was... He was arrested and imprisoned in the 58, so it was okay. 60 by the time yeah. he to, that, I don't know that it was that because um, Festus, even though he was only there a short time, was much more reasonable in his day. And, and you know, the, part of the problem is, is the, the term Jewish can be very broad or it can be very specific depending on how it's used. Because like here... Uh, up in verse 9, the Jews also joined in. Well, that's the, the high priest and the elders that were with him. It was the Jewish authorities, not the people, the individuals, the, the broad body of the uh, citizenry. So that 
what happened in the 60s really was something that came, I think, pretty quickly to a head because they really had revolted by that time. But you'd had different Caesars who had come into place too who had become more violent. You know, as long as things were coasting along, particularly in Rome, and things were going well, and things were reasonable in the province, there was nothing. But then, you know, the, the Caesars also became more ruthless. So a lot of the people they would have put in place would have probably been similar to them, or they would have at least taken their lead from Caesar. Was Nero close to becoming Caesar at this time? Well, when Paul got there, Nero for his first five, six, seven years was a good, reasonable ruler. And then his insanity took over. And that's when he became ruthless. So if you were to read about Nero in his first five years, you, and, you know, and just the book stopped, you wouldn't have thought he was that bad. But then when you found the rest of the book, you'd have gone, whoa. I think so, also the, um, the constant religious turmoil in the region yeah. was um, the Romans were getting more and more aware of it, I think. Um, we can see a little bit of it in this chapter. In, if you read between the lines in what the allegations were against Paul and what his defense was, you can see, again, that we've talked about it before, the distinction of the Roman law of the licit religions and the illicit religions. That's why he was, the licit religions included Judaism, that is, religions which the Roman law completely tolerated. The reason that, that they might classify religion as illicit is if it threatened public order. That is, if it was a breakaway, like why they were accusing him of following a sect. And essentially their charges against Paul were charges of sedition. He's stirring up uh, conflict in the temple. He's trying to bring all of this sedition, uh, un, you know, and, and that is illicit under Roman law. Paul, on the other hand, is pointing Paul is answering these charges with direct evidence. They're just bringing charges. They don't have any witnesses who can testify to it. Paul is answering it with direct evidence about what he was doing in the temple. And notice that he said, if these Asian Jews who allege that I was defiling the temple were here, maybe they would give evidence against me, but they're not even here. And so Paul is keeping it in Paul's testimony is bringing it back to a question of religious emphasis. That's why he says the only reason that I'm here facing these charges is because of the resurrection. That is certain of the Jewish authorities who are religiously infuriated by the preaching of the resurrection have brought these trumped-up charges of sedition. But that's why he was careful to explain that he's been a follower of the law and the prophets, and that this way is simply another way of looking at the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Again, emphasizing that the only reason he's before the Roman authorities is because of a religious difference that they are trying to trump into a political one. Because in the realm of politics, the Roman law would be quite severe. 
in the realm of religion, the Roman law would be hands-off. And that's where, you know, Fest, uh, or rather, um, Felix says, I'll decide your case after the, um, the tribune comes down from Jerusalem. What I think he was saying was, the tribune heard the evidence at the first trial. I don't have the record of the first trial, so when I conferred with the tribune, then I'll decide. Obviously, he doesn't decide. He keeps it to, to curry favor with the local population. You know, again, balancing the, the equities. He's trying to keep the local population happy, so he keeps Paul in a protective custody for two whole years until the next governor comes on, Festus. And Festus is one of those Roman governors that the commentators all speak very favorably about. John? I think the common denominator is that the Jews uh, couldn't do anything in Jerusalem, uh, but Pilate was afraid basically of a riot if he didn't crucify Christ. And uh, very afraid. And then in Acts chapter 4, and, uh, after Peter and John had, had healed a, a crippled man, they say, uh, the Jews meet, the believers meet together, and right before then, 5,000 people have converted to Christianity. And in verse 21, they you know, said, what, what can we do? And, um, they threatened them and let them go, finding no way of punishing them. For the, for the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done, they're afraid of the people here again. They're still afraid of the Christians. By this, thing, by this time, things have kind of turned the other way, it sounds like. And there are enough Christians in Jerusalem that they were worried about another riot. And so they said, let's get him out of here. Well, that was part of the reason that, yeah, they moved him up to Caesarea. And, all, and overall, Jerusalem just sounds like a thorn in the Roman side. I don't know what Josephus said, but it sounds like they're just continuing to be uh, like, a, like a boil that was developing and they decided to pop it and just burn it down. Well, they got, uh, they, they got worse, <laughs> at least. Uh, but, but, yeah, that's it. Yes. Well, Paul, uh, in his missions, went to the synagogues and uh, I would assume that the synagogues were controlled by the Sadducees and Pharisees, perhaps, as they were there in Jerusalem. And how would they let him go into the synagogues and uh, use the synagogues to preach? Well, the, in the synagogues, those were, you know, smaller churches. They were out. Um, and they, you know, communications didn't spread like it does now. And so knowing things that were going on in Jerusalem could take a couple of years, you know, a few months at least, and a couple of years to get there. But you had people also going on, following Paul that were coming out of, you know, it's kind of the reverse of doing a, being a missionary. They were anti-missionary and trying to destroy the message. And so they were, a lot of times, that's what created the problems in the local synagogues was the people that were following along behind and coming and saying, hey guys, let me tell you, this guy's getting you all messed up. Here's what you need to really be thinking about. And at that point in time, Paul would then go to the Gentiles in that local community. 
And so it wasn't so much necessarily the beliefs of the, the local um, members of the synagogue, but it was as much as anything the people following behind. And even after Paul left, there were even Christian-type missionaries that came in and saying Paul didn't quite get it right. I mean, so a lot of times there were two groups following behind Paul. And that's why you read some of his letters to the various churches. His responses are such that, you know, yes, you are, but you need to stay a little bit more on track. You're getting diverted. And so, um, well, we're right there at the door trying to finish. Steve, yes, sir. What were the years when Paul was writing his letters? Um, when did he start? What, uh, Galatians was his first? I guess, I think he started in the 50s because those were being written as he went along. You know, some of the letters were written. He may have been over here on a mission trip, but some of the people that were close to him knew what was going on because they may make they wouldn't have been with Paul always and they'd be going back and forth and he would hear or someone would come from that church and going, you taught us this, but somebody's come over here and taught that. Now which is it? And so Paul would respond by writing letters. You think at this point he had already written all of his letters? <laughs> no. He was continuing to write because he even wrote from Rome. When did he die? What year? That's six. So six. he wasn't alive when the Jewish rebellion started in the 70s. No. No. no, he was dead. We don't know for absolute sure because we don't have any, there, there's no scriptural record for Paul's execution or of Peter's either. But they can, they can sort of bracket the dates. Well, is, it, is there a historical record about you know, when the when the Jewish rebellion started and the Romans started war against? Yes. Yeah, that's in seventy. It lasted for several years, if I recall. But I my recall. question is: was were they were the Romans slaughtering Jews? Everybody in the whole, and, you know, everybody in Jerusalem or just Jewish or leading Gentiles? Or, I mean, no, everybody. You were walking. You were subject to being destroyed. Who <laughs> collected all of Paul's letters? They they were saved by the churches that received them, and they were spread around because you know, the, while there can be some early copies of Paul's letters, most of those are from the two hundreds. So the actual letter that would have been dictated, Paul probably more than likely did not handwrite them, but would have you know, dictated them and would have sent them back to the local churches who would have then shared them with surrounding areas. Um, and because I like that one in Ephesus because I know that you send one to the Corinthians, and, but, but then the one in F, from what I understand, uh, the Ephesians, didn't have a specific, specific person that they were right to church, they were right to, it just kind of well, made around. Yeah, Ephesus yeah. was a region, whereas Corinth was a city. So some of them were written to the churches in Ephesus. And some of them didn't make it in here. Oh yeah, there were a lot of letters that Paul would have written, because I think in some cases they think Second uh, Corinthians is really his third letter. Um, and so... But the ones that, 
you know, became part of the canon were the ones that the church fathers at the point in time, which I think was in the 150s to 200, um, said these are the ones that we accept and are viewed as. And, and the same with the Gospels, because, you know, there was here, what, a book a few years ago that became popular for a short period of time that was supposedly written by Thomas and called the Thomas of Gospel. Thomas's gospel, the gospel according to Thomas, whatever. So it wasn't, um, you know, selected to be part of the canon after they had reviewed, read, prayed, and took direction from the Holy Spirit as to be what we call the New Testament now. And some of the greatest ones I think are the ones when he was in prison. Yeah. You know, Philippians rejoice always, and I say rejoice, and, and um, in Ephesians telling you how to live, and well, next time, February the 2nd, we will start with chapter 25 where Paul makes his request to go to Rome. I appeal to Rome and Festus responds, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Until then, uh, Saturday is uh, Andrew's induction and uh, parish meeting on Sunday. Till then, have a great Saturday two weeks. Is in-